It's another edition of Baseball and Beyond presented by Masses Restaurants, five locations in St. Louis, stlmasses.com. We'll talk about Masses in a little bit, but right now I get to talk to the winner of Game 6. All I have to say is Game 6, and I think most people know who the winner is, but uh, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Hello, winner of Game 6. Uh, hello, Brad. How are you, man? It's Jake Westbrook. It's Jake Westbrook, everybody. Where's the applause? Hi, Jake. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. What are you doing today? What What is uh, Jake Westbrook doing on a lovely February? Uh, you guys probably have decent weather, right? Right now in Georgia. Yeah, we're almost. Yeah, we're almost sixty degrees here. I'm actually just pulled up to um, Athens Christian School, where my kids go to school, and where I am uh, currently helping out as the pitching coach of the high school here. And um, just kind of pulled up. We got to do some work on the field and clean some things up and get ready for next week's first game, which is Tuesday. So teaching them a lot of sinkers. Well, I don't know if you can technically teach the sinker. I think I was just blessed with it. But um, if they have one, I can teach them how to throw it better, I guess, or throw it um, how I was capable of throwing it, um, give them some in- input on that. But uh, I said mainly just mostly just pitching mechanics and being able to repeat your delivery and throw strikes and, and then the mentality part of it. I'm curious because uh, oh, I, I dabbled in pitching back in the day when I was in high school in eighth grade. Right. And I tried a sinker, and it, it was more a stinker. Uh, but yeah. you said that you're blessed with it. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Just you guess, well, I guess you just start your arm ask, angle? Yeah, people ask me all the time, so how, do you, how do you throw your sinker? And I was like, well, I hold it two seams, and I throw the baseball, and it sinks. That's really all I can say on how to throw it. Um, I, I don't know if it was just because my arm pronates more than most people or I spin the ball more than most people. Um, I can't really, I can tell you how to, you know, make it sink as opposed to run. You got to get behind the baseball. It's kind of technical. Um, but, uh, but as far as actually just throwing the sinker and everybody, a lot of people can't even, like, they hold it two seams, they throw it and it strays an arrow. It's just, it's weird. And it's just, I was just blessed with it. So, um, I had to actually make it go straight. I had to cut it to make it go straight. Whereas other people have to try to manipulate it to make it sink. I had to cut it to make it go straight. See, I think I was taught you throw it with one finger, like your index fingers, supposedly, but I guess that was in 1989 when I was... Um, I actually teach you, try to... You're going to throw it off of your middle finger, but I try to say to be able to, to help them try to get behind the baseball is to try to throw it off your pointer finger, and then in doing that, you're going to get out... You're going to get behind the baseball longer, which in turn is going to make it sink more than run. Hmm. That makes any sense. We're getting a free lesson today from Jake Westbrook, <laughs> a 100 game winner in the major leagues. This is great. Well, the one last thing about the sinker, I remember when I was a kid, I would like throw it in the backyard to my brother, and I'm like, "Did you see that? It sunk." He goes, "No, it just stopped. It, it was so slow. It yeah, it definitely dropped, but it's be- yeah, it was 30 miles an hour." <laughs> Which is what John Mabry said. I have a parachute pitch. It would come out of my hand, look like it was going to come fast, and then just whoosh, parachute yes. out. Got yeah, the ultimate changeup. Yeah. Well, we talked uh, started with the 2011 season, so let's just talk about a little bit of your Cardinal career. And um, I, I mean, I'm sure if people looked us up, maybe remember you were brought over in a three team trade. We'll talk about your Indians career too, but you're you're brought over in a three team trade, and uh, uh, Corey Kluber's part of that trade. But the Padres right. sent Corey Kluber to the Indians, so that's a pretty big name to be traded for. Um, I wonder if Cardinal fans would take Kluber today, probably. But uh, just... yeah, I would. I would think so. <laughs> yeah, Kluber went to the Indians. 
and Ryan Ludwig went to the Padres, and I went from the Indians to the Cardinals. So it was uh, at the time it was it was a uh, it was a great trade for me, uh, obviously, because uh, I think at the time in Cleveland we were it was kind of I was part of initially I was part of the rebuild when I first got to Cleveland, but and then and ten years later I was kind of not part of the rebuild. Uh, because of my age and, uh, it was good. They were kind of rebuilding again. So it was kind of good to get out of Cleveland and get, go to a, like a, an organization that was competing, uh, for a championship. And, uh, it just worked out great for me. Yeah. And I have anybody I can talk to about the 2011 season. I get geeked up about it because even in my, what was it? My late thirties at that point or whatever age I was, it's my favorite, favorite run of games I've ever seen in the, in the regular season. That run in September. Where every oh, yeah. every night you play in Philadelphia and you have to win the three or four there and you have the Mets at home and every game was a playoff game because those games if you lose them it who knows what game becomes a loss becomes the end of your season just give me a little thought on where you guys were in the middle I guess it was August twenty third something like that ten and a half out and Carp you guys get swept by the Dodgers at home I I totally remember all this and evidently right. Carp has this big giant meeting. Says guys, let's just uh, let's just play, right? Tell me a little bit about just uh, that that moment. Well, it was it was kind of it was really really good. We weren't playing obviously up to our capabilities a little bit, and we were kind of grinding it out. And at the time, we actually we had to, we, either you got to go or you're going to be you know sitting at home you know watching playoff baseball at the house. So um, and we just kind of came together at the right time, and I, I think that's what boosted us into the into the playoff run was we were pretty much playing for our for the playoffs like you said late late august all of september and just kind of just pushing ourselves to, to to win every ball game as we possibly could not taking a night off and just getting after it which is technically what you're supposed to do throughout the entire season but we had hit a little lull there and uh kind of got <laughs> really far behind but we we just kind of all came together and just just crushed it the last month you know 5 weeks or so and uh and I think that's where we all came together so much so that once we got to the playoffs we just kept it going and kept grinding it out and just kind of one more win type sort of deal let's let's get it, keep it going and I think that's what propelled us all the way to the World Series. You know, y'all talk about Cleveland again in a little bit. You had CC and Cliff Lee on those teams, but Chris Carpenter is part of this Cardinal team and I think we had a little conversation back in Florida about Carp just the things that he could do, but tell me a little bit about all the things. I mean, we we see it, what he does on the mound. So that's every fan knows. But you were talking about just some of the things he picked up as soon as you show up, uh, bullpens, and then just being that leader. He seems so intimidating that I would think young kids are probably scared of him. I know as a media member, he tried to scare me. I was fine. <laughs> I, I knew there was a lot of niceness under the gruffness. But give me some uh, give me some carpenter stuff that uh, maybe people don't know. Well, one of the first things that I I, I remember first as soon as I got traded over to the Cardinals. Was in Cleveland. We didn't do this, and and I highly recommend it with every team. Even and I even kind of kind of promote it here at the high school level as well. Where I get all the guys when 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 you're able to, because everybody in high school plays all different positions, so it's hard to hard to get everybody watching bullpens and things like that. But when I got to St. Louis during your bullpen sessions, all the other four starters would come out and watch your bullpen, and in doing that. Um, it got another, you know, four sets of eyes other than the pitching coach and, uh, down there on you to the point to where they might see something that maybe the pitching coach doesn't see or that I can't feel. And, and not only that, but it's something, obviously something that you can have a conversation with during the game on the bench 
like if I'm watching I'm watching Wayno and we're all watching Wayno's bullpen and we're seeing things, talking about things, and then we get in the dugout and he's in the game and the competitiveness of the game. We can see those things and say, "Hey, man, we, we maybe we can we can see things in that game that we can maybe share with him in his next bullpen session to make him that much of a better pitcher." And also, one of the things that I was doing, like in 2010, when I was with Cleveland, is I found out by a guy uh, uh, we received a guy from the White Sox when I was in Cleveland, and we got him off waivers or something. And I'd already made like four starts against the White Sox, and he came to me. And he said, I don't know if you know or care, but we've had your pitches all year. We've known what you were going to throw all year. And I was just blown away by that. And I, and, and it was as simple as just the, the height of where I would come set on my fastball or my breaking ball. And I was like, holy moly, I've been pretty much telling these guys what's coming for four starts now. And then I got to St. Louis and Carp's watching my bullpens and things like that. And he's telling me, he came to me after one of my bullpens and goes, I know exactly what you're throwing every pitch. I was like, "Holy cow!" And it, and that's what that's another thing that you can find out is if by watching their bullpens and Carp would actually just get in the box. I mean, he would just have a glove on. He would just get in the box in case I airmailed one. He could just catch it, but he would watch us like he's a hitter and try to pick up on things that maybe I mean, he wouldn't know what was coming. He wouldn't our bullpen catcher wouldn't uh, wouldn't tell him what was coming. He would just watch it and he would tell the catcher pretty much before I even threw the ball what I was throwing. So, And so we would, I would, I changed a couple of things up in my delivery. I didn't go over my head. When I came set, I came set at the chest. Instead of coming up certain heights on my on my face and things like that, I would just come set right at my chest. That way I wouldn't have, and I'd also have that mentality of not thinking about it. If I just come set and do the same thing every single time with every pitch, then I'm not worried about am I tipping my pitches and I can just go out there and attack hitters with the stuff that I have, and I'm not getting so – because I'm telling you, pitching is – they say it, and it's true. It's mostly mental because especially at that level, you have the talent to be there. It's just the mentality of, you know, going after and attacking hitters and getting guys out and reading swings and, and knowing what you threw in the last time and just racking your brain on how to how to get guys out as opposed to just straight stuff and mechanics because at that point, it's literally trying to the, – the competition of – you don't know what I'm throwing and I have to read your swing and figure out what you can, can and can't do and attack you that way. Yeah. What, how about the intangible of him too, though? Just the fact that every fifth day he's going to be the ace, the horse, but then the, 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 the speech and sort of, it's hard to, I would assume be a leader when you're pitching only five days and 35 days a year. Uh, but he definitely commanded respect in that locker. I remember when Lance Berkman showed up uh, the first day for spring training that year and uh, I thought, oh, man, he walked right over to Carpenter uh, and Wainwright. They had kind of mad lockers on the end there. And he just pulled up a stool. And I'm like, this guy is crazy. <laughs> it's like right. this guy is hit. Well, he's hit carp. He's gone yeah, oppo on carp. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a little different when older guys like, say, Lance and myself, when we got there, we had kind of experienced not necessarily people like carp, but people in that role per se, and because uh, I can I recall one instance where you, you you mentioned how intimidating he is, and he is very intimidating, but I think at the time where he can be, to, especially to younger guys, younger players, but it's, 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 there's a reason for doing that because he demands the respect, not only for what he's accomplished, but how long he's done it, and I think the game's kind of getting away from that a little bit, 
to where these younger guys don't realize how hard it is to not only perform at a high level, but for to do it for that long. And, um, and I can remember one instance when I first got traded over here, I mean, over here, like I'm still playing over to the Cardinals. Um, I, I was walking by and, you know, carp, how, how it gives you that glare. And I mentioned to him, I said, so what are you eyeballing me for <laughs> like that? And he just started laughing because he doesn't normally get that response from say a younger guy. And I was just clowning around just like I knew he was. And he was just trying to get a response out of me. And, uh, and then actually after that, we were, we were, you know, obviously we became great friends and, and he's a great teammate. And I, and I love being a part of a team that he was on. Tell me a little bit about that. Again, the 2011 team. I, I just remember also when I don't think people even remember that Raphael for call was on that team. They remember happy flight, but it's just, he count, right. he, he comes in August and Octavier Dotel, who's an old veteran who becomes kind of the fun guy in the bullpen and, you guys start creating happy flights and all this stuff is going on in September. Tell me a little bit about just how fun that was. Um, I mean, you had, you had such pools, Berkman holiday as the talent. You had the Memphis kids freeze and Craig and Jay, but then you, you just had just such, such a mix. Obviously when a team wins a world championship, you're going to look at all these things kind of microscopically, but it just seemed like once you got into the playoffs with all these little things, had, Craig had a tortoise and, freeze went on you know went crazy and all these weird things just tell me a little bit about how much fun it was well i think it's just the combination of everything like you mentioned you know you had the veteran presence the veteran leadership um you had the guys that have been there for a little bit and then you had the younger guys who just absolutely bought into what we were trying to accomplish and they did it the right way too they didn't you know they didn't overstep their bounds as a as a young kid they just went about their business and did what they needed to do and they just excelled with, you know, obviously that veteran presence just kind of leading the way. You know, you had a veteran presence in Carp. You had a veteran presence in Albert and Lance and Matt. And then you had Wayno And it's just the – and then the bullpen, Adam Dotel, and all those things that went, went about it. And then Mott coming to his own as a closer. I mean, it just kind of all kind of came together. And it just worked well, man. And then we just had a, so much fun. Oh my, and that's what I think the chemistry on that team. It's not like we had any, there were no bad blood. There there was no bad blood at all. It was just everybody was on board and everybody was gung ho to get things done. And to do it, it wasn't even, it didn't even after a while, it didn't even seem like a grind. It was just like, man, this is fun. Let's just keep going and, and win every ball game. So we, we mentioned at the very top, you win game six, but I'm just curious what the conversation is like when, I'm assuming it's Tony, and what what's your what you're feeling at the point where Tony says, "Listen, you know the NLDS. Here's the roster, and then you get to the NLCS, and and you're you're not on those rosters. And what does it mean? I guess as a veteran, maybe it's a little easier to take. Or how how did you take it? I mean, this is your second chance at the playoffs. Really, what what was that like? What were those conversations like? And and how did you how did you handle it? Well, I mean, I was obviously starting all year, and uh, felt like I was you know didn't have an unbelievable season, but I I held my own. Um, I, I take pride in being a, a pretty good self evaluator and obviously evaluating the team and evaluating, um, how things were going and how I was pitching and how well the other guys were pitching. I understood that the, um, the reasoning behind, I was actually on the roster, um, with the Phillies just did not pitch. And then they took me off the roster against Milwaukee and then, uh, and, uh, and he, when I, when I, he told me that, 
obviously disappointed because I want to be out there competing and, and doing the best I can to help this team win ball games. But then again, like I said, I'm a good self evaluator and evaluating the other the other guys and how well they were pitching. I totally understood it. Um, so it was def- definitely disappointing. But to be added back on the roster for the World Series, and then at that point, I'm like, any way I can help out. You know, I love being a part of this team. I, I love competing. Um, I feel like I have, you know, something left in the tank to be able to help out. And and to to be able to not only be on that roster, but to actually pitch in a couple of ball games and and to pitch game and get three outs in game six and be the winning pitcher of that game, arguably the the, the greatest World Series game of all time, uh, one of them. Um, it was it's pretty special to me to to kind of you know be a part of that and to say have that have my name next to as a winning pitcher in that game. Yeah, it's the greatest game I've ever seen. I'll never forget that you won it. By the way, we are we are kind of joking with everybody. This is actually Adam Wainwright on the phone doing a Jake Westbrook impression. I've never noticed how much you guys sound exactly alike on the phone. Really? You sound you know it's it's a like Georgia you hear yourself thing. on like an answer machine. It's like I really sound like that. <laughs> but said- and when you're talking, you know, you know, it just I don't realize. I mean, I know what Wayno sounds like, but I don't actually know what I sound like. If that makes any sense. So Georgia, there's a Georgia accent that I've. Adam Wayne Rot. I think that's when he says his name. That's what I. Adam Wayne Rot. I'm Adam yeah. Wayne Rot. You know, it's got that little. <laughs> it's, it's the only thing I know. You, you're a quiet, funny guy too. I don't, or or maybe not, not so quiet unless people know you. But right, you kept right. it pretty, pretty quiet that you were funny. I don't think Cardinal fans got to know that. Um, well, I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I mean, I'm not. Uh, you know, like Bill Murray and throwing <laughs> it out there to everybody. You know, I got to get to know somebody and. And and throw then throw it out there, but you know I I pride myself in being somewhat witty, I guess. Tell a joke, come on, let's let the people hear a joke. I don't have a joke. Be witty right now. Be witty. I can be corny. <laughs> you were that's that was what you did. You were sarcastic, I think, more than I am. Very sarcastic yeah. and and kind of dry witted. I didn't really understand it until the very end of your career. What? Let me ask that too. So you could have gone a few more years. Um, I, you know, tell me a little bit about making that decision because you're still, in in baseball years, still young enough to make another two years of, uh, you know, John Lackey type money or pitched, you know, right. I think you could have done a John Lackey type deal. Tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, deciding that. Uh, yeah, I was, I was 35 at the time uh, after in 13, um, and I actually attempted to kind of come back and 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 continue on playing, um, and I was actually scheduled to throw a couple bullpens for a couple teams and as i was getting throwing a bullpen getting ready for those bullpens uh i kind of like i kind of felt something in my side i already already had like two or three oblique injuries throughout my career and i felt kind of like a twinge and i told myself like what am i doing um and i've played 18 years of professional baseball i have four kids i've made plenty of money uh and and i'm just thinking to myself and I, and the last couple of years were kind of a grind as far as like staying healthy, you know, keeping your arm in shape, um, you know, just the grind of a full season. And I was, and I was like, you know what, you know, I think it's time just to stay home and, and be with my family and, and, uh, not miss any more time with my four kids and my wife, Heather. So, uh, I just decided to shut it down. What a house you have, too, by the way. I think if you Google Jake Westbrook, you're, the word house comes up in it, but you can't see the house. But, man, 
Ooh, you showed that to me. It's like what nine thousand acres or something crazy. In <laughs> no, it's only it's a couple hundred acres. What is the it? house? Is the house is not that big? This is like my no. new question that I get to that I really have been thinking about because then, like me and my fiance, who who's delicious by the way, we had a delicious time, but down in Florida, delicious time. That's right. <laughs> um, we were talking about just man, these guys made so much money. I mean, what does it mean to just have that kind of money and just kind of be set for life? for doing something you love and just tell me some of the things that uh, maybe the first big purchase or, uh, you know, what it's like to just see those checks. come. I can't imagine a check coming in that, that you guys see, or they showed McCutcheon's check that the, even the taxes right. he paid, I'd be like, what are, what are these taxes? You know, I mean, to be completely honest with you, man, as, as I was growing up, uh, my dad played all three sports at Georgia his freshman year, football, baseball, and basketball. And just played basketball and baseball the other three years. So growing up, that's all I wanted to do was go to Georgia and play basketball and baseball. Just ended up being a little better in baseball, which is, I mean, and I always wanted to obviously play a professional sport. It's always been a dream of mine. And to be able to do that and accomplish that, it's just a blessing, man. And, and, and the money is what it is. And that's just part of the, part of the blessing is being able to obviously make it to the big leagues but stay as long as i did and then end up being financially secure for a long time and not only for myself but to be able to put stuff aside for my kids so that they can they can have the things obviously that i didn't have it's not like i had had a bad upbringing or was was uh not given what i what what i needed or things like that but you know just to, to have that that financial security uh it's just like i said it's just a blessing and part of you know being able to fulfill a dream that i'd always had and to be able to do it now and just kind of, you know, enjoying life with my family and, and uh, you know, friends around here. Don't forget your friends Brad and Kat in St. Louis. We're, we're, we're there you big go. fans. <laughs> um, I think this is one thing I've never really asked someone, and I, I don't know how in-depth we want to go, but just, you know, when you hear uh, Alex Reyes, Tommy John, he's out for the year, he'll be back next year. I think fans just say, okay, well, he'll be back, can't wait. You had it, Tommy John, in 2008. Give me, like, just... The feeling of uh oh my something's wrong to that point where all right I'm going in for surgery. No one, I mean, people just act like ah eh, they're just going to take something out of my elbow. Blah blah blah. Surgery, surgery. Tell me everything yeah. that kind of goes into just that the scaredness or are you scared and just the pain and then that first time you kind of pick up the maybe the rehab like what what just give me a little bit about just what goes on the, the timeline and just. Uh, because I think people just say, oh, Tommy John, I'll be back, you know, but no one really gets to hear about, wow, every day there's this or that. Right. Well, you're right about surgery is surgery. It's not It's not going to be the same. Um, and people say, yeah, you come back stronger and, and whatnot. Yes, yeah, some cases there is that case. But for me, I was a little older when I had it. I think I was around, uh see, 08. I had it in 08, which was um, at the time – was not as not as scary. I mean, I just signed a contract, a three-year deal with the Indians, and I made about five starts. One of the tough things for me was, you know, I just signed this deal with Cleveland, and I make five starts, and now I'm going to have to miss however long and not be able to honor that contract that they gave me. And it bugged me. That bugged me more than actually not actually not. Uh, I mean, being hurt and whatnot. Um, but as far as me, I was a little older when I had it, so I did not. I don't think I did not heal as well as I probably would have if I was younger, a younger player, because uh, I, I missed all of 08 and then kind of was planned, scheduled to come back in the middle of 09. I ended up missing the entire year of 09 
just for just because of complications with my elbow and it not it not healing correctly and then and then the last year of my deal which was 2010 um they I, they asked me to go to puerto rico to see if they that i could do it and if because if i couldn't they would have had to go get somebody you know to fill my spot and uh but I, luckily i was able to go out there go to puerto rico and, and, and pitch well and feel good more importantly and then once once 2010 started my goal was um obviously to stay healthy but get into a routine to where i can make it a whole season and uh get to that 200 inning benchmark and i actually ended up doing that with both the indians and the cardinals but it was i think it was a little tougher for me and everybody's different everybody's arm heals differently um when i first came back my arm actually felt great it was when when i first kind of got into pitching live games that it kind of still felt something in there a little bit um but i was never the same pitcher as far as velocity wise and 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 things like that but then again i was a little older when i had it i think roboski's funny too i think he says this anytime someone has tommy john surgery and he's one of my favorite people but oh they'll come back and they'll be better or he's his new thing also is well it'll help their sinker (laughs) so it probably helped you right well i think i think one of the things and this is my opinion I, i don't know if there's any research on it at all but uh i think there is i've heard this is I think one of the reasons guys come back feeling stronger and throwing harder is in doing your elbow rehab, you uh, you do so much other things as far as your shoulder strengthening because they don't want you to injure your shoulder protecting your elbow. So they you do all this shoulder exercises and, and strengthen that so much that once you do start coming back and you're, instead of favoring your elbow, a lot of times guys will compensate by using their shoulder more, but it's your shoulder's stronger. And in turn, I think your shoulder's the reason why you have velocity and your elbows are, is, is all about location. So if your shoulder's strengthening, you're going to come back throwing harder. So that's my opinion. Dr. Westbrook in the house, folks. There you go. <laughs> he's, he's quiet funny, folks. <laughs> a couple more minutes. Uh, thank you again for spending some time. But I did want to run through just a little bit of time in Cleveland. And 07 was a great year for you guys. I don't remember this at all. I don't remember you guys in the ALCS. I just remember Boston. The two things yep. I remember from 07, because the Cardinals were really bad that year. We had a long season that year. There was a lot of things that went on. They didn't They didn't go. They didn't finish over 500 for the last time. Um, so all our members, Matt Holiday, uh, sliding in the Padre, uh, Colorado Rocky wildcard game. And I remember right. then the Red Sox sweeping, the, but I don't remember you guys playing this amazing. I just watched it last night to kind of get, get acclimated seven game series yeah. with the Red Sox. You're got, you're up three games to one. You pitch game seven. Uh, right. but, but the first thing I have to ask you about was that's the same year as the, uh, what they call the midge game with Jabba Chamberlain. Tell yes. me what it was like to just see that happen unfold where literally in a playoff game, a guy just can't handle the bugs. Well, yeah, that was kind of funny. It was actually a, a great series other than the fact that we didn't win it. Um, just for, for like, I guess the fans point of view of watching baseball, but it was that, that one game where Joe Chambers getting eaten up by these insects. What are they called? Midges? Midge, yeah. Midges. And, um, and he can't stand it and they bring it out bug spray and things like that. But the, the, what was so funny about that is Fausto Carmona's pitching the exact same game, and he's sitting there locked in on the catcher, and he's got midges all over his face, and he is not budging. I mean, he is just so locked in that it, those things don't affect him at all. The Java Jamelin's going crazy out there, and I kind of might have been doing the same if they were getting in my ears and eyes and things like that. I might have been going nuts too, but Fausto was so locked in. 
I get mad and, when like there's one. Like if I'm at a barbecue, I'm like, ah, get out of here! There's like a gnat. <laughs> exactly. So especially when they're around your ears, oh, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. So uh, it was great, and that series was awesome. And it's it's so disappointing because we were up three games to one. Um, it was CC on the mound in Game Five at home, and just could not pull it off. And then Fausto pitched Game Six, and then. We had our opportunities in seven, and I kind of picket fence the first three innings, giving up one in the first, second, and third. And I settled in and made it through six, and we had opportunities. We just couldn't pull it off. Yeah, and I was looking again at the those Indians teams that you played on. You had CC and Cliff Lee for a lot of those times. You guys all kind of all kind of matured at the same time. Where I think in the '03 you may have finished with 90 losses, and then in '04 you get to 500. So you could see this kind of building. What was it like to be part of that staff and, and watch? You know, what was C? What was C? CC's just seems like a gregarious, fun guy. I'm just, I'm assuming that's the same. And clearly. yeah, CC's awesome. CC and I were rookies together in '01, um, and we were like calling each other at 12 o'clock. So what time are you going to the field? Because you know, as rookies, you're like, yeah, you're definitely not going to be anywhere near that bus time. We're definitely going to get there early. So we'd take calves together. We'd play catch together. Um, he's awesome. I mean, he's a big teddy bear. Um, and he's, I mean, and, it, and it, it's great to see him still rocking it. Uh, I love watching him pitch. He, he came up throwing 98 and was trying to just try to blow people away. And now he's lost a little velocity. Now he's, you know, he's really, really learned how to pitch and, and, uh, which is fun to see. What, uh, when you, do you feel like, you're an Indian at heart forever. I mean, is that how you feel? You didn't get drafted by them. You you had a few trades, no. before. but I mean, is no, that? I, drafted, I mean, I was drafted by the Rockies yeah. in '96, and then I got traded to the Expos, and then I got traded to the Yankees, and then I got traded to the Indians. So I was traded like three times before I was 22 years old. So um, are you I, along? I, real, I realized real fast that baseball was a business. So are you an Indian at heart, though? Like, I mean, do you? Do you get invited back for things, and 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 are they? Yeah, I've been I've been invited back a couple of times with the Indians. Um, just just for the fact that they they were the team that really kind of gave me the uh, the biggest opportunity. You know, I made it to big leagues with the Yankees, but was only there for like six days, and then I get traded to the Indians, and they really kind of kind of took me in and realized my potential of hey, this is somebody that we don't really and you know, we want to keep around because of uh, kind of his stuff, and and gave me an opportunity to to. Uh, you know, kind of get my feet wet and get used to being in the big leagues and, uh, you know, taught me the things that I, that I know and, um, just helped me to mature to the pitcher that I could become and was there for so long that, uh, about 10 years. But then, but my time in St. Louis, even though it was only like three and a half years, the teams that we had and the, the friendships that I made, um, and the winning always helps, man. It just makes it so much more fun. And uh, to be a part of those teams in St. Louis was, will probably be the things that I remember the most. Obviously, the, the, the people that I knew and, and got to know in Cleveland as well, but and the opportunity that they gave me to kind of get established in the big leagues. you know. But just those teams in St. Louis are probably one of the things I most remember. Yeah, I, I, just love, I just love that Lance Berkman came here and Carlos Beltran and helped, helped the team win. I mean, the fact that... You know, Beltran had this giant twenty thirteen. Lance Berkman's twenty eleven numbers. If people go look at him, I mean, he yeah. had a, he had a, he had three hundred, four hundred, five hundred. You know, OBP average slugging, and he had ninety RBIs, ninety runs. I just loved it. But I love the other thing. The last thing I'm going to say is, you know, at these fantasy camps, which people need to go to, if if you have any no doubt any desire to be around these guys for four days and just soak up Cardinal baseball, play against them, have some beers with them, talk. And this is what you told me about tipping pitches, which I thought was great. But I love that, like, you know, you, 
when they announced and Jake Westbrook, you remember him. He won Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. Gary Bennett, you remember the 2006 season. He, and the, and it, I don't... I hope you guys understand that it is it means something to Cardinal fans that you're big Randy Flores he's always going to be part of the 2016 that he was the game winner in game 7 of the NLCS and it it really is special to Cardinal fans so hopefully you get to see that when you're around these fantasy camps what's it like to just to see that and be around it uh I had a, I had a blast I didn't exactly know what I was getting into and I was like what do I need to bring down there they say just bring a pair of sliding shorts and your glove so i was thinking well maybe i'll be playing catch or some of the guys or whatnot and interacting with them but did little did i realize that i was actually going to be participating <laughs> like playing the field batting running around the bases i would have definitely been a little better prepared had i known that like actually doing something like <laughs> at the house playing catch and running around the outfield or something because i'm on the baseball field here at the high school every day pretty much and i could have been doing all that stuff but i haven't been so i was definitely out of shape which I think probably made it a little better for every for all the campers anyways, because I was just like them, you know, kind of running around, you know, uh, gas running around the bases. So, um, I had a blast, man. It was, it was a great thing to be a part of. And I'm glad I went and, uh, hopefully I can be invited back. Yeah, I found, so I've been to a few. Thank, thankfully for the Cardinals, Joe Pfeiffer does an amazing job. Although it sounds like he needs to communicate a little better. Maybe he needs a communications guy like myself. I'd come over and help out. Uh, but the first year, yeah. I, I felt like I could play, and I played okay, and I pitched okay, and it seemed like everyone was kind of on the same uh, wavelength as player-wise, like, uh, the, like the other campers. And then by the last year I played, I tripped over home plate. Uh, I couldn't get to third base on, like, from a second to third double. It was just a mess. And, uh, and they yeah. all got well, younger. They brought that's, younger that's kids in. Life, man. Yeah, it's terrible. Or unathleticism, one of the two. I think it's probably a lot of the second. Yes, okay. Jake. I've enjoyed this. We can work on it. I was hoping for more quiet, funny. I don't know how to get that out of you. It's probably the host's problem that I didn't get it out of you. No, more of a more of. A, I understand there's an audience of <laughs> however many. There's about people two, you have on the con, on the podcast here. There's a loyal. So there's an audience. I don't, I don't do big groups. I'm a small group guy. Okay. So as far as the quiet, funny stuff. No, I'm then this would a, be a perfect place to try it. <laughs> What's that? I said this is a small group listening, so this would be no. We yeah, there's a there's a loyal fan base of uh, I won't say how many, but it's in the hundreds. I can say I, I do see okay. the stats. All right, that's a large group to me. So I'm a more of a small group guy. That's one of the things that we were talking about at Fantasy Camp. Me and Colin Cullen was uh, they're they're wanting me to to be that funny guy in front of the whole camp, and I'm like told Kyle, I was like, man, I'm more of a small group guy. I'm more of a small group funny guy. I'm not really a like stand-up comedian type sort. I'm more of a one-on-one or, you know, clowning around with a couple of teammates. Funny, but yeah. uh, I get a little uncomfortable in the larger groups. And I, I like Kyle way more now than when he was a player. And I can tell you he's not as funny as he thinks. He really finds himself oh, no to be, doubt. No, he's, no doubt. he's not a funny guy. Kyle McClellan, great guy. The big part of 20 – that's another thing. If you look at stats, 2011, he won 12 games for that team, which I yep. totally – I knew he started at the beginning of the year, but I could talk about 2011 forever. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Any any thoughts of doing anything in the major leagues ever again? Are you uh, content being at home and doing the high school? Well, I, I think one of the things that I – one of the reasons I shut it down was because of, you know, kind of being away from home and traveling and, and being away from my family and things like that. So if I ever did anything at the major league level, I would have to get back into traveling again. Um, and maybe in some small dose things if the opportunity arises, but not like a, a everyday go-to-the-park 
go to all the cities and be away from my family uh, thing again. So um, that's why I'm here at home coaching. I'm still in the game. It's all I've ever known, really. That's why I'm here at the at Athens Christian School here and and uh, back home here with uh, where my kids go to school. So it's to stay in the game and and hopefully influence some some younger high school kids as they you know go through their career and hopefully go play in college or or whatnot and just be that influence to them not only in a baseball aspect but as you know to kind of you know teach them how to do things the right way not only in, on the baseball field but in life in general so um you know hopefully i can be that guy yeah you're too fresh right now in about five years you'll be looking for tv work or izzy's roving job or you know you get you're like oh i do need to get out of that i don't really feel like doing the dishes today uh, honey i'm gonna be uh i'm gonna be at uh Myrtle Beach for the next five uh, five weeks, helping out that, that team. There you go. There you go. Maybe so, man. Maybe so. <laughs> All right. Well, Adam Wainwright, I mean, I'm sorry, Jake Westbrook, I appreciate <laughs> your time. This has been fun. It's baseball and beyond. Keep subscribing, and uh, we'll get some more guests coming your way all summer long. Thanks for listening.